Hello and welcome back to the Second Row Podcast and to our second preview for the upcoming Pro 14 2018-2019 season. My name is Porik Kelly, and as always, I'm joined by Oshin Collins. Good to be talking to you again so soon, Porik. I know, and we're on different sides of the country once again. You've abandoned me, although you're moving back to Dublin soon, so that's okay. Yep, future podcasts will more than likely be done in person. Except when we can't be arsed. Exactly. Now, for those of you who missed the last episode, we discussed the four Irish provinces. You can listen back to the episode and all our previous episodes on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, SoundCloud, Acast, Stitcher and all podcast apps. Don't forget to subscribe so that you get all future episodes of the Second Row Podcast delivered to you ASAP. That's right, and in this preview episode, we'll be having a look at the other five teams who are joining Connacht and Munster in Conference A. We'll be talking about the major personnel changes, discussing expectations for the season ahead, and as always, we'll give you our second row one to watch. That's it, and we'll get stuck in from top to bottom with Glasgow. Yeah, so Glasgow, um, hard to improve on their domestic form last season, at least during the regular league. Number one in Conference A, and number one overall, after coming out of the gates and winning something, I think they took maximum points from their first four or even five games. Yeah, like that position almost seemed in spite of themselves when you saw it the second half of the season. Well, particularly when you saw their form or lack thereof in the knockout stages, and given that they were turning out stinking performances in Europe in between that as well. It's really, really weird. Like, they're such a good team, but just don't seem to be able to, or don't, in general, perform when they need to. Yeah, it seems like they're capable of fighting a war on one front, but not two. So they can either do well in Europe or domestically, but not both. And to be honest, looking at the changes to their squad over the summer, I think they're going to struggle with that even more. There's a couple of players who've come in. Uh, DTH Vandermeer, a great signing. Uh, Nick Frisby, George Turner, and a handful of others. But going the opposite way, they've lost the halfback pairing of Henry Pergas and Finn Russell, who on his day, is one of the most creative tens in Europe. Yeah, Finn Russell is a genuinely a huge loss, and Piergas with inside him as well. Like, the two of them work so well together, and for them to be missing for Glasgow is absolutely huge. Like, so many players will have to stand up and be counted. Well, particularly given that last year, Finn Russell finally seemed to get a run of confidence and be able to put some games together, because like, we've all seen the days when... Finn hasn't brought his lucky, I don't know, his lucky pair of underpants with him and he's all over the place. But he turned out a couple of cracking performances last year. It was really special to see him on his day. Like you said, him on his day, it's special to watch. He was tearing up defences on his own. It's a shame no one else in Glasgow could kind of play with him. Yeah, and I think they had a couple of unlucky injuries at different points in the season. But a relatively decent start. So again, as as you said in the previous episode, Borg, you win nothing in uh, in August. But knocking over Harlequins by 50 points to 17 is not unimpressive. No, it really is a good win. And I can see them once again coming out of the blocks and winning most, if not all, their opening rounds. Like, as long as they lose in the first to Connacht, you know, that's fine. You're happy enough. They can win everything else after that. Somehow I don't think Connacht are going to have the start to the season they want. But definitely if they throw the ball around, they'll give Glasgow a good game of it. And I suppose that's what matters. Well, it'll be good for the spectator anyway. Well, definitely the neutral, not for anyone's blood pressure in the sports ground. <laughs> no, definitely not. But both teams play that kind of open attacking rugby. So definitely one of the first weekend, I'd say. Yeah. And like for Glasgow, they'll want to set a good stall because they will have high expectations this year. Well, definitely. Like they need to go all of the way to certainly to the final in the Pro 14. And I, I think they'll be targeting to win it, even looking at the players that they've lost. But I think the real question will be, can they go out and put a series of good performances together in Europe? They want to demonstrate that they're a top club side. That's what Dave Rennie has been brought in to do there. And 
you're not a top club side if you're not able to compete in Europe and domestically. That's it. And with a pool of Saracens, Leon and Cardiff Blues in Europe, they really should be aiming to make the playoffs. So, Porik, who's your second row one to watch that's going to do it for them? My one to watch is actually not one of their mainstays. Um, I've picked Matt Ferguson. He had a breakthrough season last year. He got his first cap for Scotland in the summer tour. Just seeing can he push on and with the World Cup in mind, these younger players, especially in Scotland where they only have two teams, can he vie for a spot? That's Xander Ferguson's brother, isn't it? That's it. Okay, interesting. Um, I've gone for another young player, actually. So I reckon George Horn, uh, who plays nine for Glasgow, could have a really big season. Obviously, Henry Pergas going leaves a massive gap in the team sheet. But the couple of times I saw him last year, and he's capped for Scotland as well. And he's a big guy. He's physical, uh, kind of similar physique to the likes of a Connor Murray scrum half. And I, I think he could bring a lot to that team. Plus, his delivery off the base of the ruck is so snappy. And if you look at what that Glasgow backline have with the likes of Van der Merve and Stuart Hogg, is real, real pace. And if they can get quick delivery of ruck ball, I think that could be key for them. And Glasgow relies so heavily on their halfback pairing. He will be key. Absolutely. Um, we take the long trip down to Blumfontein next. Uh, the Cheetahs. So, again, not a bad outcome for their first year in the Pro 14, particularly given how much rugby they had played. I was pleasantly surprised they came. They did so well, like third in their conference and six overall. is a stunning first season up in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, I don't think anybody gave either of the South African teams any shot at making the playoffs before the season, but the Cheetahs were a really difficult proposition at home. And they got a couple of points on the road that made a big difference. The Pro 14 or Pro 12 was always about if you win your home games and pick up a few wins on the road, you're there at thereabouts. And that's what they did. It's League Rugby 101. 100%. And I think the addition of the South African side has been really positive for the tournament. It's been a bit of a festival when teams go down there for the tour. And it's brought a whole lot of new players. And we're going to see a whole lot of new players again this year for the Cheetahs. They seem to have converted like 20 odd guys from club contracts into their Guinness Pro 14 squad. Yeah, but that is because their one season in Northern Hemisphere Rugby has just been the biggest shop window for everyone. Like, look at all the talent they've lost. Like, if you look at who were their best players last year, they've lost arguably four of their top five. So Francois Venter, who was their club captain, Johan Goosen, who was a brilliant 10, came up from one of the French clubs, Clayton Blamichis, and Isaiah Kazim, who was their number eight. And they've lost another 10 players or so as well, although arguably not of the same standard. It's a revolved door down in Bloemfontein. I know what you mean, and given the fact that cheaters play so much rugby on so many different fronts, like to lose top quality players and leaders of the group is huge. Yeah, I think they'll be relying on the fact that at least they've had an opportunity to recover this year, or at least more than last year. And they're kind of coming in without much of a preseason. They're kind of sister club the free state cheetahs are playing in the curry cup and even though they lost badly to the blues at the weekend or the blue bulls rather you're still expecting a few of those players to transition between kind of curry cup team and pro 14 team over the course of the year yeah i know what you mean but i'd say that the coaches are delighted they have a proper preseason. Oh, i can only imagine like trying to get those guys in and particularly the amount of travel that they have to do it must have been a killer last season to get them through it alive definitely and you've looked for goals for this season 
you've got to think, you know, there, thereabouts and try to aim for a home quarterfinal this time instead of a, an away quarterfinal. Well, I think that would be massive. I think that would really make the difference to them in terms of giving them a shot at getting to a semi-final. It's, it's a long way to travel at the end of a long season. And it was definitely just a step too far last year. You could see that in the game against the Scarlets. But if they've got a little bit more in the tank and if they manage to get that game at home, then... You know, you'd be hard pushed to bet against them making the semi-finals with a home draw. It's just as long as the players that have left aren't that influential for them. You kind of have to hope that the guys who are there are going to be able to pull it out of the bag. Exactly. And you know, speaking of the players that are there, who is your one to watch for this season? For me, again, playing particularly in South Africa, it's all about quick ball. And one guy who was always involved last year in terms of giving them quick rock ball was Opa Mahoje. He's there. Uh, I, I can never tell with the South African sides whether they're blindside or open side flankers. They tend to mix the roles <laughs> up a bit and they wear the wrong damn numbers. Um, but he was a massive influence and he brings a lot of physicality, but it's his work rate that really stands out. And I think if it's going to be about trucking a load of ball up or getting through ruck after ruck, um, Mahoje is going to be the one they're going to rely on. I've actually gone along the same lines. I've gone for someone in their pack. I've gone with Ox Nietzsche. Like he had a great season last year. He got himself capped. You know, you can see a theme of the people I've picked so far. <laughs> the ones who've turned up in the South African national side. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, with all the players they've left, you want the the guy who's just got capped to step up and be a leader. Yeah, and, I mean, he was a huge ball carrier for them last year in particular. He's, he, he's a monster truck in possession. Yeah, and he'll be a hard man to stop if he, now he's had a break as well. That's for sure. And kind of moving from the the leaders of the conference last year, so to speak, into that dangerous middle ground that your beloved Connacht spent so much time in, we're having a chat about Cardiff next. Fourth in Conference A and ninth overall. But because the Cheetahs were ineligible for Europe, they got a freebie ticket to the Champions Cup, which was uh, certainly a gift horse that isn't going to be looked in the mouth. At the same time, not a lot of change in their personnel over the summer. No, it's been a quiet summer for them. You know, they have lost two huge players in Cuthbert and Warburton. You know, it was like I was even I was gutted to see Warburton go over the summer. That was pretty devastating, but you look at the you look at what that guy's body has been through and I'm amazed he managed to play as long as he did. For sure. But, you know, new coach coming in like Connacht, that's the I think the key for them, what he brings and what he can do for them. Yeah, and he's working with a relatively fixed setup. I mean, the the Cardiff Blues head coach has actually gone off to Scotland to take the job that Dan McFarland of Ulster just vacated and John Mulvihill, who's an Australian coach, uh, comes in. But one big player coming with them, possibly past his best years, but Sam Ubinoa joins from Toulon, where he's been playing for the last number of seasons and tearing it up in the top 14. Um, probably the best player on the US national side, certainly one of their standout ball carriers and a very, very different player to Warburton, but definitely brings a lot of credibility and composure to that back row. Warburton definitely would have brought a lot of leadership, but he wouldn't have played a lot as well because of you know he was mainly a Wales player over a Cardiff Blues player. He was mainly a hospital occupant. Well, yeah, but at least Sabu Manoa will be around all the time. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, not the best start to their preseason. Admittedly, they uh, managed to lose thirty-eight ten to a pretty junior-looking Exeter team. You'd think with a new coach, they'd get that bounce that Connacht have got from Andy Friend, but. You just don't know in preseason friendlies. Like we'll we'll be talking again, you know, in November, December. We'll really know what's going on here. That's a fair point. What is interesting as well is a lot of that coaching team was already in place, so perhaps it's taking them some time to gel. 
I have the book on coaching teams needing time to gel at this stage. <laughs> you could write it as a Connacht supporter anyway. Um, from an expectations perspective, what do you think Cardiff are going to target this year? I think uh, Cardiff will have the exact same goals as Connacht. Making Europe off their own bat again, reaching the playoffs in the Pro 14 and a decent run in Europe as well. Well, I mean, they're going to come in probably as one of the lower ranked teams. Like we just talked about their group. They've got Saracens, Leon and Glasgow. It's tough to see them taking a lot of points there. Yeah. And if they decide to only focus on the Pro 14, I can see them again whipped a lot in those matches yeah all three of those are sides that can put up a serious run of points if you're not on your a game on a given day and there could be there could be some fairly uncomfortable saturday afternoons uh in the arms park if 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 cardiff aren't able to put together a squad and fight on both fronts yeah, I know. And speaking of their squad, who is your one to watch for the upcoming season? So my one to watch is somebody who I think it's very important for Cardiff, but actually for Wales, that they have a good year this year. And that's Ellis Jenkins. Um, showed on Wales' summer tour that he is a player with international standard. And the competition for that seven jersey, now that Warburton is out of the picture, at a national level is so strong. You've got Navidi at the Cardiff Blues, who is a really good performer as well. Justin Tipperick, who we'll talk about in a minute. But I think Ellis Jenkins is possibly the most complete flanker of all of them. So I think when we watch him, he's going to step up as a leader. But he can firmly see that red seven jersey in sight. And I think he's going to chase it down pretty hard. Yeah, and competition for places always breeds better players. It does. And him and Navidi are going to be pushing each other hard all year. They are. And I've actually gone for Nick Williams as my one to watch for the season. Okay. I know that might seem really weird because he's a very established player, but seriously, can he keep going at this stage? I love it. So he's your one to watch fall down by December? Kind of. Like, he's the way he plays, I'm surprised he's still going. And if he plays like we know he can, it'll be such a bonus for that Cardiff back row. And particularly given that there are more teams playing on those 3G pitches that seem to really suit his game. Like, he's less likely to get bogged down in sticky ground if he's playing on the new 4G surface down in Musgrave or up in Glasgow. Like, that that's interesting. And with the plastic pitch that they have at home in Cardiff, they could pick up a lot of points there. It really is an advantage for to, for teams that have that 4G pitch. Absolutely. Funny, actually, if you look at that pool in Europe, Saracens, Glasgow and Cardiff, three of the four teams are on 3G pitches. That could be a really high-scoring pool, which could mean you've got two sides coming out of it into the knockouts. Very possibly, and we'll move swiftly on to the Ospreys, and we'll try and talk about their shambles of a season last year. Uh, it was a clown fiesta from start to finish. Like, fifth in their conference and tenth overall. F- for a team that has regularly been challenging for the semi-finals of this competition, what an abject failure of a year they had. It really is weird, losing their coach halfway through the season. I don't know, like... It can only go one way for them. Uh, it has to. And I mean, I think probably what's funny is normally when you lose your coach halfway through a season, it goes downhill from there. But that was the one point that the Ospreys actually looked like a credible outfit again. I don't know what he was like slipping into their nutrition supplements, but it certainly wasn't performance enhancing. I know what you mean. But at the end of that season, they have lost a lot of talent. And significant players like they've lost Dan Bigger and Reese Webb. And that's a, that's a huge loss. Like you're talking about what a hundred caps at least each for them at club level and both of them established internationals but then you've also lost 
another number of backline players, Ashley Beck and Kieran Fonatia from the centres, and like maybe not their toppest quality player in Jeff Hassler, but a real stalwart of that team and someone who they were always able to go to to get them out of trouble. Those five players are huge. Like I, Bigger and Webb for me would be like Munster losing Rog and Peter Stringer in their pomp. Yeah. Well, it's funny because we talked about the level of loss from Ulster in terms of them losing most of a backline. Same thing at the Ospreys. Yeah, but in all fairness, they are replacing them with you know, half a back line as well. That's true. Scott Williams coming in there, the, the first choice Wales centre at the moment, um, and the ghost of George North hopefully coming back to recover some of the form that he had before that dreadful, dreadful stretch at Northampton. And to replace Webb, you know, Ala Davies, and to the coaching ticket, like Clark and Sean Edwards. Yeah, and a bit of consistency. So Alan Clark obviously had a caretaker role towards the end of last season, but I think it's a real vote of confidence to give him the run for for the proper contract. And with a bit of help from Sean Edwards, who who knows the score at this stage. I mean, he's been involved in that international setup for so long. He'll be he's a real addition to any coaching setup. He really is. But like it's really weird that they have no games for preseason? Yeah, I was keeping an eye on their preseason build-up just to see if maybe I was missing something, but it just seems like they've been doing a warm weather camp in Portugal and trying to bond as a team. Not a single warm-up game before they have to go out cold on the first day of the season. That's just just so odd. It's so Ospreys from last season. (laughs) Yeah, it just keeps going a bit stranger to stranger. But they do have a new captain in Justin Tipperick, which I really like. I mean... Tipperick is one of the most skillful players going in the European game. He kind of reminds me of a European version of David Pocock in terms of like his ball skills are so good and his rugby intelligence is so high. Uh, I just think it's really impressive that they've they've gone and I think it's a statement from the club that they've picked him. Incredible captain and he is the man that you'd want to the forefront with an eye on the Pro 14 playoffs and a good run in the Challenge Cup. Yeah, I mean, this is an Ospreys team that, in theory, is capable of getting back into the knockouts of the Pro 14 and is actually capable of winning the Challenge Cup if they can put some games together. Like, they certainly have the talent. I know we've said they've lost a lot of players, but, like, there is a good squad there. There is, and we better pick some ones to watch then, Porik. Who have you gone for? I've gone for Sam Davies. He has been the bane of Connacht's life for so many seasons. And if he's actually able to step into Bigger's big boots, like, he could be a very good player for Ospreys. He just needs to get proper game time and just iron out the some of the kinks in his game. I think that's a great pick. That's actually who I've gone for as well. <laughs> Seriously? Um, yeah, absolutely. Like for me, I think part of the challenge that Sam Davies has had is that he's never had a run of games to establish himself because it's always been very easy for whoever's coaching the Ospreys to just revert to Dan Bigger. But like, I, I think with Bigger gone to Northampton this year... They just have to behouse on Sam Davies, give him a decent run of game time and let him establish himself as the first choice 10. And I think if they do that, it'll be like when um, Johnny Sexton got the run for Ireland and for Leinster after he got out from behind Contopomi and O'Gara. I think he could really flourish. Like He's just so talented as a player. Um, plays a little bit like, obviously not to the same standard of, but he's almost a little bit like a Bowden Barrett in terms of that running 10. And I think this could be a real breakout season for him. Yeah, definitely. And last but not least, we shall move on to Zebrae. I mean, not least overall, but least in their conference last year. Zebrae were propping up the bottom of Conference A um, while still being 11th overall and had a pretty respectable season by their own standards. Yeah, like Conference A was actually the most competitive conference, you know, across the board. It certainly didn't have the the dredge of the bottom of Conference B, which we'll get to on our next preview. But... (laughs) 
again, not a whole lot of changes. Kind of some some players coming in and out, but none of the big, I guess, Hollywood signings that we've seen at some of the other clubs. I think the only player who I really recognised coming in this year was Eduardo Padovani, um, and a couple of other club players with Rory Parata, uh, ex of Connacht, I think, going the opposite way. Yes, yeah, Rory Parata is an enigma. Like he actually is a very talented rugby player. I don't know why that hasn't worked out for him because I thought he'd be a player that would almost slot in first team there. Mm. Well, it could have been good, but unfortunately it just doesn't seem to have worked out. And uh, nor did their first uh, preseason game against Grenoble where they got pretty badly beaten. Yeah, losing 31-7 to is poor, but I'm going to keep saying this. August, it's August. You don't know what you're going to be doing in August. Yeah, and it was an away game as well, which doesn't help matters. No, and the French teams are usually two weeks ahead in the preseason because they start earlier as well. Yeah, I think the French teams start preseason before they finish the previous season these days. I tell you what I do like though, Benetton and Zebre are actually playing a preseason game against each other. In all fairness, that's the best way to improve your team, playing players at your own level. But plus, it'll draw a decent crowd, so it should be a bit of a spectacle. Hopefully, and it would be great in general to see the crowds in Italy improve. Yeah, it, it can only get better, but I think hopefully Conor O'Shea is continuing to, to lift the, all of the team's fortunes over there. And like I think from an expectations perspective with Zebre, it's about continuing to improve. Probably that little individual battle that they have with Benetton continuing through the season to try and finish ahead of them by the time it gets to the end of the year. But equally a little bit of trying to get more players into the Italian setup access to that top quality coaching and international competitive level rugby yeah exactly and that kind of that's where my one to watch is kind of focused oh yeah who have you gone for i've actually gone for johan mayer he's one of their three-year projects and this year is his final year so he should be banging on the door of, of being a starting eight for italy or at least in the italy squad starting eight for italy now i'm sure they have one of those yeah i know <laughs> but possibly not with enough legs to make it to the world cup eh Look, how much longer can Parisi go? No, I don't think so. And to be honest, my one to watch is someone who's taken over as a bit of a talisman for him in the Six Nations this year, Matteo Minazzi at fullback, who was a revelation at international level. And I think if he gets a little bit better ball from some of the players around him, he can create those kind of opportunities with regularity at Zebre. He just offers that kind of line-breaking possibility that is so important in a club. I think the one thing that he'll have to be fearful of is having Bradley as a coach who wouldn't be renowned for his ball throwing around coaching ability yeah somewhat conservative sometimes I suppose (laughs) but you know what I do think this could be a year where um with a bit of guidance and a bit of magic Zebra could kick on it's something I'd really like to see um it doesn't do too well to to be guaranteed that they'll be propping up the bottom of the conference no it doesn't but in all fairness it's a very competitive conference you know so Overall, they might be the ones who bite the bullet and just prop the bottom up. That's it. And uh, that's where we leave Conference A. Exactly. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back with the last of our preview episodes discussing Conference B on Sunday evening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate us and let us know. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook.com, for slash the second row, Instagram and Twitter, where we're at the second row. That is 2ND, not the word second. So until next time, take care. Bye-bye.